When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is sponsored by the rise and fall of D.O.D.O., a linguist, a military spy, a quantum physicist, and witches. All must travel in time to bring back magic. Take the trip too. read The Rise and Fall of D.O.D.O. by master storyteller Nicole Galland and the best-selling author of Cryptonomicon, Neil Stevenson. Check out The Rise and Fall of D.O.D.O. at neilstevenson.com. Stevenson is S-T-E-P-H-E-N-S-O-N. This is the Book Riot Podcast, weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. This is episode 214, recording on Thursday, June 15th, 2017. I'm Jeff O'Neill. I'm here with Rebecca, Rebecca Shinsky. We're coming to you from bookriot.com. Hello. Hello. Hello, hello, hello. Hello, hello. hello. I think we're finally through the little free library follow-up. Oh, yeah. I think we are, yeah. too. Yeah, thank you all so much for your feedback. Um, I'd say on the whole, people were kind of in our camp of, Mm -hmm. there's something, he. this is a good spur to examine the thing, but it's also not a thing that, you know, let's not throw out the baby with the bathwater, you know, and reflect on it. I I think that's the thing that's hard for a lot of people, and, and me included in this, is that if you have a little free library in your neighborhood or you run one and you see something good come out of it, it's like... It's anecdata, right? You know, like, well, in my in my neighborhood, blah, 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 or I see this or whatever, which could very well be. And just like that heat map wasn't um, uh, proscriptive. Like, it doesn't describe all little free libraries. These are just in trends. And that's the difficult thing about collections of data is, like, if your sample size is one or two and you're an outlier, then it's hard to, to look at the whole thing. But anyway, thank you guys for so much for your stories and feedback there. Um, we were talking about Bill Gates... Uh, I guess, was it last week or the oh, week before? Oh, a couple before? weeks ago, yeah, when he couple did weeks ago. five books to read this summer. Yeah, and I, and I got some data I thought you guys might be interested. I haven't, I haven't told Rebecca about this, so I think it would be interested Ooh, in this too. I'm he ready. recommended, you know, he, he tweets out recommendations from time to time, and he tweeted out um, a recommendation for um, The Better Angels of Our Nature by Steven Pinker, uh, and he called it basically a book every student should read, a sort of a graduation idea, gift, you know, moms, dads, grads, kind of like we do. And Publishers Weekly had a little story this week tracking sales of oh, that book nice. uh, after the tweet, tweet. So basically in the week after uh, he tweeted it, it sold more in that week than it had in any of the previous three years combined. Wow, okay. Um, it's been out for a while, and it's an interesting book. I read it a long time ago, and it's it's cool. It's a book about why violence has decreased over time um, in general civilization terms, sort of comparing modern culture to the Dark Ages, the Middle Ages, the Renaissance, the Age of Enlightenment, sort of through the 19th and 20th and into the early 20th century. Um, and it talks about some of the phenomena that go on. And speaking of anecdote, it's, it's one of those things where it's kind of a nice antidote to uh, recency bias, signal bias, um, network news bias, whatever. I'm sure uh, Kahneman has something about like what you see on the network news, but outlier bias, something like that. But mm-hmm. it's like, you know, violence has gone down over time and dramatically so. Anyway, interesting book, but 
it's basically for the three weeks after um, Gates recommended it, it went from selling, you know, a hundred copies a week to five, ten, fifteen thousand. Wow! Over the next three weeks, and that's a the pretty good bump. That's a very nice bump, and the publisher was smart, and I don't have the publisher's name in front of me. Um, capitalized on it by having Pinker do some interviews and picking up stories and doing some promo around it and using the tweet. So anyway, it climbed um, (laughs) 608,000% to move to number two on the overall Amazon bestseller book list. Uh, Not yet, not quite knocking out uh, Oh, the Places You'll Go, which just destroys everyone every May. Um, which is a story unto itself, but uh, so there you go. That the, the Gates effect. We we were also thinking of. I don't know if we mentioned Gates in our who could who could do an Oprah thing. Oh, but it yeah, seems we like didn't... Gates has um, some juice if you wanted to use it. That's so interesting. Yeah, I was just thinking about oh the places you'll go earlier this week because my oldest nephew graduated from high school and my mother in law was like, I bought this card and your father in law thought that it was too childish. It was Dr. Seuss. It was from oh the places you'll go. And I was like, well, actually, (laughs) um, it's so interesting. And I was kind of like, why don't we tell everyone in the culture that this is a giant bestseller every May, everybody, like if you make it out of high school graduation and no one buys you a copy of Oh, the Places You'll Go, you're probably kind of unusual. They should just make the mortarboards out of Oh, the Places You'll Go. Like just had like built it in, like you you rip open the black, like whatever that crazy garbage bag (laughs) vinyl crap is. And then under it, so just just so we get to get out of the way. It's like one panel. Yeah, right. Yeah. Just one pound. Yeah. So anyway, uh, so I thought that was interesting. That is interesting. That's the first data I'd seen about the Gates effect. Yeah, we've seen, um, I can't remember who I was talking to. I was talking to somebody last week about, you know, has anyone, someone in my, you know, real life, not book life. um, Civilians. My civilian life had asked me about like, is there anything like the Oprah effect now? And I was like, well, you know, the closest is probably the, you know, late night talk show hosts, like the Daily Show when Jon Stewart was hosting it, had a pretty noticeable and reliable bump for books. I don't think that happens so much with Trevor Noah. There's something of a bump for Colbert, but like no one has quite done it. But those numbers from Bill Gates, those are impressive. Yeah. Nonfiction, uh, especially, right. You know, yeah. um, also the framing, every student should read Bill Gates, mm-hmm. graduation system, uh, season, nice timing. Anyway, let's get on with the rest of the show. Before we do that, why don't you tell us about our uh, our next sponsor? Sure. Our next sponsor this week is Third Love. If you've been listening to the show, you know that we love them because when it comes to bra shopping, it should be all about finding the right fit for you, not shoving your body into whatever the store you're in happens to have. Third Love is the only lingerie brand that offers bras in sizes AA through G and some signature half cup sizes. So if you're like a little bigger than a B, but not quite a C, they have a B and a half. Um, these don't exist in all all the steps, but through more of the common like A to B, B to C, C to D, they have these half cup sizes so that you can have a bra that actually fits you and is either not gaping or too tight. Third Love uses thousands of real women's measurements and it's made of super smoothing memory foam, uh, which just forms to your body to create bras that fit better and they feel great. There really is a perfect bra for everyone and you can find yours in just seconds by answering a few simple questions from Third Love's Fit Finder. I have used this tool, I can tell you, It's easy and painless, and it did result in a bra that fit me correctly. So you can now try one of their best-selling bras for free for 30 days. You'll just pay the $2.99 for shipping, and one of Third Love's signature 24-7 bras will be on its way to you. You cut the tag off. You see how perfectly fitting it is and how well it works in your life. Wash it. Wear it. 
You could maybe even forget that it's on. If your Third Love bra is not your new favorite, you can always return or exchange it for free. So go to thirdlove.com slash bookriot now to find your perfect fitting bra and try it for 30 days. That is thirdlove.com slash bookriot to try your new favorite bra for free. Thirdlove.com slash bookriot. Um, we had a week um, in which a book-related, literature-related story bubbled up to the mainstream. Yeah, very uh, not interesting. Not often that this happened. Interesting story. I'm sure a lot of you who are listening to this show, you've already heard whispers of it, even if you've read the story about it. But basically, over the course of the last week, um, Delta Airlines and Bank of America pulled their financial support for the public theater, New York Public Theater um, production of Julius Caesar, the the Shakespearean mm-hmm. play, um, as part of its you know its long running and prestigious and popular Shakespeare in the Park Caesar. I love that series. I went several times over the course of my time in New York. Always looked forward to it. It's the tickets are free, but you got to wait in line, and it's in the middle of Central Park in this open air theater. Really lovely and beautiful. Um, my 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 favorite memory was seeing As You Like It with Jimmy Smith mm. and Kristen Johnson. Oh way back man, in the day. that's a good cast. And often they get. Uh, for one of the productions, a pretty celebrity cast. This production of Julius Caesar doesn't uh, look to have a celebrity cast, but what got things stirring is that it's definitely Mm -hmm. Trump-inspired with the part of Caesar, you know, uh, a golden-haired, you know, Trump sort of like character. He's wearing his red tie and his long overcoat. A Slavic um, wife. Uh, you know, in a he, in his gold tub, and you know the 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 beginning of the play. There's a, I, I don't my theater terminology is not what it could be, but basically an overlay projection of the first, of the preamble to the Constitution. And if you know the plot of Julius Caesar or basic history, you know that <laughs> um, what happens to Caesar is that he's he's assassinated by the uh, Roman senators. Um. And it looks like Donald Trump Jr. got this rolling, or maybe the con- more conservative media outlets. And basically, it got to the point where Delta and Bank of America said, we, we can't really support this. Um, fascinating story. I, I think, I don't know. I, I, do you have a take? You, I mean, my take know, is, I, don't pull, but I kind of, it's more complicated than that also. It is. I, I have a couple pieces of nuance yeah, add. I have a little. Why don't you de- deploy your nuance yeah, first? Deploy my nuance. There's our show title. Um, so the first piece is that my understanding of this is that most presentations of Julius Caesar in contemporary theater um, pull in, or many or most, pull in the whatever the current day's politics yeah. are. Um, that it's not usually set in ancient Rome with guys mm-hmm. in togas and you know like laurel reeds on their heads um and russell crowe wearing flat sandals <laughs> like yeah right that, that very frequently productions of julius caesar feature uh characters that are made to look like the real president or you can imagine like if they mounted a production of it in the uk it might feature the prime minister or there might be one in canada with like a character who looks like justin trudeau like this is sort of what is done with adaptations of julius caesar on stage so i think that's important to understand that this isn't like a singling out of trump into a production of julius caesar this is frequently done with politicians and the second piece of it that i think really adds important nuance is that back in 2012 a 
theater company in Minneapolis, which also received financial backing mm-hmm. from Delta, did a contemporary production of Julius Caesar in which the title character was played by a black man and resembled Barack Obama. And like, nobody mm-hmm. said word one about that. And the, te- the context and the text of the play are the same. The same thing happens to Julius Caesar, whether he looks like Donald Trump or looks like Barack Obama or looks like Russell Crowe in a toga. Um, but it was fine culturally to have that presentation of a person who resembles the president being killed on stage. But now it's not for Delta. Um, so some of this to me also just looks like caving to the noise mm-hmm. online. Um, I also say they shouldn't have pulled. Um, if yeah. you understand what this play is and what it does with contemporary politics in whatever the contemporary day is, then you stay um, and you just let the people who don't understand it get over it. Mm, I had similar nuance, a couple other things that I think are worth talking about. If you've never seen or have read or seen Julius Caesar without doing much kind of, even a cursory study, the play is not about how great it is to murder people. Right. Like that is not, it does not go super great for Rome um, yeah. for, for this. I mean, I think, I, I don't think I'm going much beyond a, a Cliff's Notes sort of interpretation in which the point of Julius Caesar, um, and there are many points of them, but the one especially about murdering Caesar is to, to try to do under democratic things in the name of democracy or to do things for the good of the state that are themselves crimes doesn't usually work out. That the ends don't justify the means because the means become part of the ends. And so in a way, there's a critique implicit in staging it this way that the most overheated um, factions of any, I I guess, opposition at any given moment to its leadership got to think about that. It's not by any means necessary here because the means matter for this sort of thing. The other thing I think is interesting too, and and maybe I'm, you know, maybe I'm, uh, this isn't the the artistic quote unquote radical in me, though I'm not really radical about anything except bad coffee. (laughs) Uh, Maybe. Is that I'm kind of glad that we can still put on Shakespeare today and it ruffles people's feathers. Like, I'm kind of glad to see that. I like Shakespeare. I'm not. I'm not a professional or even really trained Shakespearean scholar, but I've I've made relatively serious studies of Shakespeare, both in, in school and otherwise. And I do like to see Shakespeare given due for what it is, and not sort of defanged in sort of a. It's just a cultural. It's like it's like the Coca Cola of theater, right? right? I think that's the way yeah. we think about Shakespeare. It's, just it's sort not of, like just these old plays that you need to be yeah. able to refer to because other things call upon them. But there's right. the, the ideas are still relevant. I mean, I, I do wonder what what artist what art Delta and Bank of America really should be un should be comfortably supporting, mm. right? Like I, I almost wonder, like any art that's worth supporting should make them uncomfortable. I don't. Does that, I don't know. Maybe that. Maybe that's a tautology, right? But I'm like, okay, get out of here, Delta and Bank of America. Maybe you shouldn't be funding the arts if you can't do this kind of thing, right? If you can't it, hang with what art is often yeah. intended to do, then you need to get away from art. If you can't deal with what art is about, then you shouldn't try to hang your hat on what art is. And you know that Shakespeare in the Park has become an institution is good, but institutions also can molder. And this at least shows Shakespeare in the Park is willing to, you know, try something different, um, to have some teeth, um, to get people and make people uncomfortable. 
Now, you know, the kinds of people that go to Shakespeare in the park, are they going to be themselves made uncomfortable by this particular performance? You know, it's interesting that Shakespeare in the Park, for example, which is the preeminent um, Shakespeare production company, didn't do Julius Caesar with Obama. They could have. Mm-hmm. I mean, that probably would have been more challenging for its own audience. And like, right? if the election had gone another way, would this current production be with uh, Hillary? Yeah, I don't know. Right. And I don't want to do false <laughs> yeah. equivalents. I, yeah. I'm not saying that Trump and right. Obama are the same, or Hillary right. no. and and Trump are the same. That is categorically not what I'm saying. Trump is a bad guy, and I wish he was not president vehemently. But I'm just saying, who there's there's time for all of us to be made uncomfortable by art. Um, and this is a case where, okay, maybe it's a good sign, weirdly, that Bank of America and Delta, which uh, Bank of America is a giant in, international banking conglomerate. Do you really do you really want to put on art that they're super happy about? You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> not, not not that they're evil, right? But like, maybe if you're Delta and Bank of America, that maybe it's all right to make these folks uncomfortable. I don't love that. Um, Donald Trump Jr. and the conservative media got on their bandwagon, but you know what? That's their right to do, and they got these uh, these got these sponsors to cave. They did not get Shakespeare in the Park to cave. They're not changing the production. And the New York Times, which I'm going to link to their article, is also a sponsor, and they decided not to cave. They're going to remain a sponsor of this production, um, and I think that matters. That makes me feel differently about the Times. Uh, makes me feel differently about Bank of America and Delta. Though, am I surprised? I'm, I guess I'm not. Uh, anyway, th- that's my nuance. I, I'm not sure. Does that seem fair to you at all, or what else do you think? Yeah, no, it does seem fair to me. There's an interesting tweet from Donald Trump Jr. embedded mm-hmm. in this New York Times piece where he's wondering when does art become political speech and does that change things? And that right mm-hmm. there like, seems to indicate a fundamental misunderstanding of the nature of Art yes, right. Me. Like we talk about on this show that books and reading are always by nature mm-hmm. political acts. Um, and all along the spectrum of what, what it means to be political. But if you are wondering when art becomes political, then you've already missed the boat. Um, yeah, so right. Kind of tells you everything you, you, you need to know you, you, about. You the don't source. understand art or politics. Right. That, that's what that tweet is about. Right. Yeah. Really interesting. I did not think that we were. Yeah. You know, I was surprised that like 1984 made its way back into headlines mm-hmm. this year, but I was not expecting to see Julius Caesar make it back into mainstream headlines this week. Um, moving along to other, yeah, let's. We, I guess we're gonna do Trump corner. Trump here related weird book stories. Um, President Trump this week blocked the author Stephen King on Twitter and J.K. Rowling wrote in like to cape for Stephen King. (laughs) She caped caped for Stephen King. She definitely did. What a weird story. Like what a time that we live in. Uh, What a time that we live in. Yeah. Uh, 85,000 retweets of Stephen King's announcement. (laughs) And it's like Stephen King has been vocally, vocally, you know, critical of Trump. Um, But the tweet that seems to have been the straw that broke the camel's back is relatively benign in the pantheon of King's anti-Trump tweets. And it's about how um, if Ivanka Trump had grown up in farm country like some of us, she'd know her father is reaping exactly what he sowed. Um, and like that seems to have done it. So King then tweeted that Trump has blocked me from reading his tweets and JK mm. Rowling responded and said, I still have access. I'll DM them to you. <laughs> so Stephen King can continue criticizing Trump's tweets on Twitter with a little help from JK Rowling. Can, like, can we, can we fanfic a JK Rowling, Stephen King, uh, ship? 
<laughs> based on, I mean, this feels like, you know, th- th- this is, is this what Wattpad is for? Is this what I should be doing on Wattpad? Are you writing headcanon right now? I'm, ri- I'm writing Stephen King and J.K. Rowling um, romantic like, headcanon. Oh, you're doing based a rom-com. On, I'm doing like a buddy yeah. cop situation. No, no, that's why I ship. I'm shipping them. That, that's, that, I'm using that correctly, right? <laughs> yeah, you are. Hello, fellow kids. <laughs> <laughs> Oh boy. I don't even oh. know what to say about this other than like what on earth? <laughs> I I don't know, man. It's so stupid. It's <laughs> just so stupid. Uh anyway, moving on. Let's moving co- on. There's a lot of interesting stuff going on this week too that's not headline news. Um where do you Let's go back to the Amazon bookstore thing because Oh yeah. We this again, I guess it's could have been the follow-up uh follow-up section, but um, Amazon is projected to be, by the end of 2017, the fifth largest bookstore chain in America with only 17 stores. So it tells you something about the the health of the book chain industry. It's like mm-hmm. Books A Million and Half Price Books and Barnes & Noble, and that's kind of it. <laughs> yeah, and the the numbers here, like... This is one of those cases where I take issue with the way that Publishers Weekly writes headlines because this Amazon will be the fifth largest bookstore chain has the feel of like Amazon is taking over. But when you look at the graph in this piece about the (laughs) number of locations that these chains have, Barnes & Noble is in first place. It has 634. Yeah. In second place is Books a Million with 260. So there are three times as many first place Barnes and Noble stores mm. as second place Books a Millions. There are 121 half price books locations. That's third place. So then another, like, that's a step down by half. Then the fourth place is Book World, which I'm not Have familiar Have you heard with. of? I don't know Book World. I don't either. Um, yeah. If y'all are listening and you know Book World, Tell us what that business is all about. They have 48 stores. So that's another jump by about a third, or it's a, it, it's about the third of the size of the one above it. And then Amazon Books will have 13. So the, the difference between the number one <laughs> spot is 634, and yeah. the number five spot is 13. So we're 50x. About- <laughs> yeah. 50x. Yeah. This and is then 25x not- from the number two, and 10x like, from the third. You don't have a story if your headline is Amazon will have 13 locations next year. Yeah. So I get the headline here, but it's kind of, this is kind of a nothing burger. Like, Okay, so the real story is there are many fewer bookstore chains now than there were six or 10 or 12 years ago, but that's not really a story anymore. Um, Also, Hastings was on here in 2011 and 146 stores. Um, You know, Borders was 20. Was that right when we were starting the site? I think it was right around the same time or right before that Borders closed, which had hundreds of stores as well. So there's there's a lot of open areas in the the, the canopy of the jungle of um, book selling here for people to sprout up. You know, Barnes & Noble is actually down 71 stores since 2011. I thought it might have been more than that because I know they made an effort to close some of their expensive slash underperforming or, you know, mislocated stores. And Books um, a Million is up by 28 stores. Yeah, they've opened, they've opened a few more. Half Price has opened a few more. So, but it, I guess it's one of those put put things into context. Like, look the ground Amazon would have to make up to be the equivalent of Book World, which we've never heard of. Right, it they'd have, have to, to triple. It a quadruple or triple its number of stores just to be the size of something we've never heard of. Um, yeah. Also, I think it's going to have to change the narrative of. 
I guess, the anti-Amazon crowd saying support brick-and-mortar bookstores, right? Because suddenly Amazon's part of that. Is there a caveat to that? I, I, I do wonder. I mean, oh, because, you know, if you say you, you, you'll support your local bookstore, and Amazon is going to be at least in 13 locations, including one over here in West Portland, somebody's local bookstore. So I think that's a that's an interesting wrinkle, too. I, we've, we've speculated about why Amazon is doing this. We're up to 13. There's going to be more. I feel like we're out of the experiment stage. Do you... With Amazon books? Yeah. Like, I feel like this is now more of a, this is a thing, not a thing that might be a thing. Yeah, no, this is a thing that they're, this is the thing that they're doing. Yeah. Um, and there are frequently headlines, I think, here in Publishers Weekly, and I see them in Shelf Awareness, too, that are like, Amazon bookstore opening, and it's like, in Paramus, New Jersey, you know? Or yeah, like, right. Like, they're out of the big headlines of opening in Boston, opening in Portland, opening in New York. Like, aren't they opening one near Columbus Circle? Didn't we it's talk open, about yeah. that? It's open, yeah. It's open, yeah. Yeah, in an old uh, border spot. I right, think, they're actually. doing. They are doing this. Like someday, the headline is going to be like Amazon Books opening at Oak Park Mall in Overland Park, Kansas, and it's like, okay, well, that's not. It's just not a story, except that no. it's Amazon that's doing it. But it does seem to me like Amazon has moved into this is the thing that we're doing. And you're right that that's an interesting wrinkle about what happens if your local bookstore that that is bricks and mortar that provides jobs for people in your community yeah. um, is an Amazon store. Like there's a huge Amazon distribution center just south of Richmond. And other than some of the tax issues when Amazon was moving in, people overall seemed really excited excited about that development because there were thousands of jobs available. Um, and that, you know, very concrete difference to many lives of having a job versus not having one, in my reading of it, certainly overrides any principles you have about paying hardcover, like paying the full hardcover price in an indie to support something. Right. Uh, yeah, I, it's it's interesting. I mean, I don't know. I still don't know why they're doing this. Um, maybe they're at this weird in-between stage. I thought five was like, that's trial balloon. Mm -hmm. Now that they're going to be triple that, that feels like more of a trial balloon. But 13 of these, you know, there are a few thousand yeah, copy stores. They're not a big deal. I guess now wake me when it's a hundred. Yeah, I kind yeah, of or wonder, wake me when they're making moves on like, books a million or something. If they're, like that. we've both read this book, Crossing the Chasm. That's yeah, about like right. the, the pattern on the normal curve at which people adopt new technologies. And I've kind of been wondering if this movement into physical stores is Amazon's attempt to get sort of the last set of adopters for Amazon services um, that like people who aren't shopping online or who don't shop online much or who like don't know what prime is like, um, this is completely anecdata, and I'm acknowledging that up front. But a friend of mine was talking to me about how her mom recently was like, oh, well, my friend got the Amazon Prime. And like she she can Anytime have someone Amazon, uses but... a de definite article of technology, <laughs> right. you know they're a late adopter. I got on the Twitter. Right, exactly. Yeah, But right. like that's it. This was, this was like a month ago. Her mom was just – had like just started to purchase anything at all online and had just yeah. heard of something called Amazon Prime. And her understanding of it was – that you could get shipping fast, but she didn't. She didn't know that there were other benefits and like that you could 
stream television and all those other things that Prime does. And so I think like there are customers like that or like my in-laws who don't, you know, do anything online really, but who would walk into a store to get a good deal. And if there's someone in the store who's like, hi, if you sign Mm. up for Prime, you're going to get a good deal here today. And then if you decide to order online, here are all of the things that you'll get. Like, I do think it could be a move towards selling Prime, but not just selling Prime, selling it to people who aren't going to buy it online. Do you want to hear my current theory of what they're doing? Tell me. It, totally unsubstantiated. Is well, what if what if the hist- what if the present repeats the past, which is Amazon got in their their minimum viable product for Amazon.com was books to begin with. I wonder if this is just their experiment in bricks and mortar retail mm. and the fully formed final shape will be Amazon stores that are Walmart size. Oh, maybe. Right? Like that's the, they're getting used to retail. They're getting used to, will people buy? They're collecting data. They're getting some expertise. They're figuring out staffing and leasing and location and all that kind of stuff, building up some, some skill in bricks and mortar retail. And then this is, you know, the, the ground invasion, you know, these are, these are the paratroopers, right? The, the tanks are going to storm the beach a little bit later and that's going to look like something completely different. Um, that's my current thing that makes sense to me. These are these are experienced people. Know books. There's you know, as this chart shows. There's pretty weak competition. Barnes and Noble is a much weaker uh, competitor than Walmart, than Target, mm-hmm. than Costco, um, than Best Buy, even or something like that. Um, so much like in the early days of Amazon, they they're finding a place where we can they can. I guess my um, D Day metaphor is going to continue, <laughs> where they can establish a beachhead. Um, uh, for for future endeavors. So that's what I'm going to see next. I guess if I had to lay a $100 bill on something, am I going to see 400 Amazon bookstores first, or am I going to see a mothership flagpole department store-like thing? Yeah. I'm guessing we're going to see one of those first before we get to triple-digit Amazon bookstores, or or at least where we're threatening, where we've passed, where they're the number two bricks-and-mortar book retailer. Um, you know, the other story that does, this doesn't show about books is how much Target sells books and Costco oh, yeah. sells books. And those things kind of weren't on the map in 2000, right? And different, you know, Target wasn't, I, I don't know what kind of well, those mass market story is. Yeah, um, people don't uh, historically talk about especially. those. Like, I think yeah. it's, you know, still kind of frowned upon as like for lack of a better term, is like common to buy your books at Target or at Walmart right. or at Costco. And so the people who are trying to get reader cred aren't admitting that that's where they buy their books or we've made it very clear. Like there's still yep. enough snobbery about where your books come from um, in book culture that we don't talk about the huge numbers of books that Costco sells, except like yeah. when there's a pennies pick at Costco that somebody surprising gets chosen to like have a jillion copies of their books sold. But because that's does. hardcore curation at Costco. It, it is. It's hardcore I mean, curation at Costco. There's three and, dozen maybe hardcovers there and, and another dozen does paperbacks. The same. Like they yeah. have a limited number of face-out displays for books and they do a lot of paperback features and debut features. And a few years ago, a friend of mine who at the time was a debut novelist got her book chosen. Like she was just lucky. Her book got chosen um, yep. as one of Target's like debut paperback 
features. And that made a huge difference to her sales and also to how her publisher perceived the reception of her book by the reading public. But it's just not one of those fancy seeming things that like that authors talk a lot about yep. in their bios. You know, it's not like Jeff O'Neill is the author of blah, blah, blah. And it was nominated for the National Book Award and selected as a target. Whatever. <laughs> like, you yeah, know, I do wonder in terms of moving units, would you rather win the National Book Award or have your book on an end cap at Target? Oh, God, Probably end cap at Target, like by a factor of 10. Yeah, probably so. Yeah, Probably right. so, but it's just not, you know, fancy enough. Um, and we don't, we just don't talk about that, but they move a huge number of units and, and we just conveniently, you know, ignore that. Often also the titles aren't like super brand new, you know, the no, stuff that you're seeing no, no. Um, at Costco or Target seems to have a few hardcovers, but mostly a lot of paperbacks. Well, Costco seems, I mean, it's not like you're not going to go there on Tuesday to see what right. got turned over, but it's within the last few weeks. I yeah, think, it's it not like me, remainders by any yeah. stretch. Um, and it's commercial, like it's more commercial. Yeah. It's pretty genre focused. Like There's genre, my, yeah. my mother-in-law who loves her Swedish crime and like ah. thrillers, she can get her fix at Costco. Get her Nesbo or Menkel. Right. Or, you know, like you know, I'm not going to you know. be able to pick up the next Marilyn Robinson when I go to Costco to get my no. $1.50 hot dog on a Saturday afternoon. But that's fine. Like it really, no. I think Costco selling the books that it sells, they have a reason for what they choose and it serves an audience and um, it might be, I would love to see like publishers weekly features on like what are the best selling titles at Costco and at Target because that is significant. Do we even, do those get put into BookScan? Do we know? Oh, I have no idea. That's a really yeah. good question. Yeah. Who knows what goes into BookScan? It's like what goes into hot dogs? Right. I have no, I mean, you don't want to know. I just would just enjoy know. it. Just enjoy uh, the snap. Just enjoy uh, the snap. We should move on. Do you want to tell sponsor. me Sponsor. Yeah, sponsor. sponsor. Do you want free audiobooks? Of course I do. That's what we call a rhetorical question. Uh, you don't want to be a sophist to know what that is. Celebrate Audiobook Month this June with a premium giveaway every Thursday brought to you by audiobooks.com. Got a couple more Thursdays coming up. If you're a member, you can enjoy access to two-for-one offers, exclusive sales, and bundle deals all month long. Get your free audiobook, become a mem- member, then get some other perks. If you're an audiobooks.com listener, you can stream books live or download them from offline listening. Enjoy great features like sped up narration, sleep timer, and custom bookmarking. Plus, audiobooks.com integrates with CarPlay, Android Auto, Sonos, and TVOS, that's your Apple TV, for easy listening in your car and home. Create your account for free and get started. Sign up, get your first premium audiobook free, then after that's $14.95 per month for an audiobook every month. They have a library of over 100,000 premium audiobooks and more than 7,000 free titles, which is, that's a that's a big set. That's a lot of free titles. As again, you you 1.25 psychopaths out there can listen at 1.25. I, I doesn't make sense to me. That me out just to think about. <laughs> I don't understand it, but it's okay. This is a free society allows you to listen to your audiobooks at whatever speed <laughs> you would like. This is how this we're going to This is audiobook months. So you've got some deals. You know that audiobooks can be expensive, so a subscription service is a way to get into audiobooks. Plus, you get the, these little treats of sales sprinkled in. Get a two-for-one. Get something for $9.99. Get something for a few bucks right there. So go to audiobooks.com and use... Oh, where's my offer code? Oh, uh, where did my offer code go? Do I have one? Yeah, you don't need one. It's, it's audiobook month, so yep. you can just go. All right. Thank you guys so much for audiobooks.com for sponsoring the show. Let's do two more stories. It's a short show this week. We have busy stuff going on. Where do you want to go next? 
Uh, Should we do see, Hero of the Week? Let's do Hero of well, the Week. Uh, do we have, do we have, well, it's sort of, I mean, libraries are kind of always Heroes of the Week, right? I mean, that's kind of, it's like. Oh, yeah. is that what you're going to do? It's like LeBron James is kind of always the MVP, but sometimes you got to give it to oh. someone else just so no one gets bored. That's, that's not where I was giving the Hero of the Week. Oh, where were you going? Uh, there is a guy in Detroit Oh, sorry. Yes, this is absolutely it. This is, yeah, this is definitely the hero of the week. I don't know what podcast agenda you're looking at. (laughs) The 20,000 libraries and banding together for a book club, that'll be our last story. Yeah, that's a cool story, but I think this is cooler. Um, Kali Sweeney, he grew up in Detroit and it wasn't easy. When he was just six weeks old, his parents gave him away to a woman in the neighborhood. And that, of course, changed his life. He said he was always getting in trouble growing up. He was always fighting. He ultimately dropped out of high school, had no job no education and nowhere to live, but he was able to turn his life around. And so now he wants to help save other young people from the path that he was on. Um, he fell in love with boxing when he was young. And in 2007, he started the downtown boxing gym youth program five days a week. Around a hundred kids are picked up from school and they're brought to his gym. Boxing teaches you to be focused. And he is now talking about how education is key. So he tells the kids books, books, before boxing. He pours everything into this program. And so far of the 200, there are 267 students who have completed his program and all of them have graduated high school. 98% of them have gone on to college. Um, So there's a great interview with him. This is from CNN.com. And he talks about the gym that he has opened. He talks about the boxing program, but also what, how he is using this boxing program to encourage kids to pursue reading and moreover to pursue their education. So this is not a straight bookish hero of the week story, but I'm, I'm giving him hero of the week regardless. This is really remarkable. His credo is books before boxing, meaning like boxing is, a means to an end. Right. You know, we're not. I guess you could be a professional boxer or have a, a career in boxing, but the discipline, the structure, mm-hmm. the commitment—committing yourself to something. Yeah, yeah, uh, and and really using it as a thin end of the wedge to a commitment to improving yourself and your life and getting on the the right train. Uh, fascinating story. I mean, there is a. I mean, it, the local boxing gyms have a super interesting history mm-hmm. um, as as being a part of the community and a way for kids to find a, something that they can care about for themselves. Um, I, have you heard this story? This is only somewhat related to literature that apparently Bob Dylan has like a secret gym that he supports in L.A. somewhere. No. Like he loves boxing. Really? Like it's it's an open secret that there's some gym that, that like no Bob one gives Dylan out the ad. it? Like he shows up and he bankrolls it. What? I guess it's. I mean, he's a Does Nobel he laureate in Does literature. This is books related. I wouldn't think at this. I, I think at some point, probably even one shot to the head at a certain age is a yeah. terrible idea. Not that it's a great I, idea at any age. I, I wish you say. could see the look on my face right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Shocking, shocking yeah. story. Um, I think I heard this on the. Bill Simmons, uh, Malcolm Gladwell is a huge boxing fan. I, I listened to Gladwell that and Bill is Simmons surprising. talk about that. That's like an open secret that there's this one gym that you don't give the address out to apparently, so that we don't all show up there. Right. I guess. But he's a big boxing fan. Um, Dylan, who knew? Anyway, so there we go. Boxing in books. Also, Joyce Carol Oates is a huge boxing fan. <laughs> I, I know that. Yeah, she wrote a, she wrote a book about boxing. Not wait, you're not lying. Not lost. Not lying. <laughs> I Serious thought you were like. I thought you were just doing the thing where you're like, yeah. oh yeah, and this thing. No, serious is a heart attack. Yeah. 
Um, well, man, Joyce Carol Oates, that person, she is an onion. Yeah, well, it, it's actually what book, what what topic has she not written a book That's out? That's true. Probably, right? I mean, boxing, horse racing, uh, tiddlywinks, uh, competitive knitting. Uh, it's all it's all in there. Um, <laughs> last story, then we got to go because uh, I tease it. We got to we got to hammer it out now. Twenty thousand libraries are participating in the world's largest book club. Um, the first book picked is The Other Einstein by, uh, what's her name, Marie something? Marie Benedict. Be- Benedict, yeah. You can go to biglibraryread.com. It's an international reading program through public libraries. And you need a library card. Uh, it runs for two weeks, and readers can join a conversation. You can get um, on all major computer devices, so you can get an ebook version, an audiobook version. They're making it available special. And it's facilitated by Overdrive. So good job for them. Um, the other Einstein is the 13th title selected. I don't know why I haven't heard about this till this point. We go sleeping on the first 12, but ah. this popped up. So if you're looking for a reason to get into a book, you want to get you know maybe your book club or hit your wagon to a larger conversation around a book that's happening in the library that your local library is probably going to have um, access to. It's the other Einstein. I wonder, I think this is a source books book. I wonder if they're doing anything special um, making yeah, it available there. Yeah, I think we're probably just really hearing about it because this 20,000 libraries number is special. That's a nice. That's a nice. That's number. That's impressive. Nice that's number. a nice number for sending out uh, your press release. I will say you can browse the past selections yeah. at the Big Library Read website, and they're pretty white. Okay. Uh, so maybe that's also if like if this has come across our desk, we might have also oh, just not talked maybe. about it for that reason. Um, that happens mm. sometimes where we don't discuss like big lists of recommended books. We're not going to recommend yeah. to our listeners that you check out these big lists of recommended books if they're like all by white people or all by you know middle aged white guys. Like I love. Well, me maybe if you want to write, book. maybe if you want to go to biglibraryread.com and write them an email saying, "Hey, this yeah. is a great idea, but have However, you considered?" Yeah, yeah. Little variety would be good. Uh, uh, that's our show. Yeah, I don't mean to that, crap on twenty thousand libraries doing a thing. Well, we don't. It, it's not either or. It's that's cool, true. but just do it a little bit. Good job, but or bad right. job, but like right. we like to yeah. say, you know, we we like to. We were we describing the podcast here. the other day to like when people do something cool, we say it, and if there's something that needs a little work, we say that too. It's true. Not that we hate on all the time, except I guess books that are just bad methodology just people bad methodology we don't like that <laughs> we don't like bad things <laughs> thanks so much to our sponsors the rise and fall of dodo third love and audiobooks.com and this episode next week we get to talk about our new secret podcast thing we've been working on <gasps> i'm so excited but also so nervous <laughs> yeah we get we've been working i've been working on this for more than a year you in have various stages. it's crazy um, and Rebecca is working on it too, and Kyle, our editor, is working on it too, plus some other folks involved. It's 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 a it's a big push. It's a big experiment. We're nervous. We're excited. Um, it's different than anything we've done in the podcast uh, podcast space here before. But we'll I, I think at the, after the the end sound next week we'll have a teaser. First few minutes of our new thing, we can talk about it. We'll spend a few minutes on the show, maybe talking about it. Too. Yeah, I think we so should. So that, that's that's what we call a teaser. And I have a teaser too. Yes, uh, you do. Yeah, next week's all the books, the one that drops on. Well, it'll be this yeah. week's by the time you're listening to this. It'll be June twentieth. Um, Liberty and I are going to be doing our halftime show, best books mm-hmm. of 2017 so far. So if you're looking for a glimpse back at the best books of the last six months, we will be doing that. And then next Friday on June twenty third will be the first of a 
a series of drop-in episodes. She is going to be doing bite-sized backlist recommendations on Fridays. Um, those are just going to be dropped into the All the Books stream. So if you subscribe mm-hmm. to that podcast, you don't need to do anything different. But if you want a little backlist recommendation in your reading life, along with all the front list that we do, you'll be getting bites of All the Backlist on Fridays. That's very cool. So some new things come up. We also mentioned last week that SFF Yeah, our science fiction fantasy talk show launched. Uh, you can go find that. And also Red or Dead, our mystery thriller talk show podcast um, starting now. I, I, can, I can tell you that our secret thing is not a talk show podcast. It's not, like, it's not a format we've done before. Right. Totally different. All right, guys. We'll talk to you next time. Great week. Have a good one. Bye.